Uh, from there, we talked about uh, goodness, if you remember. And if you remember, goodness was like the goal. It's what we're going after. It's the purpose. And if you remember right, we talked about what the, 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 uh, the Greek word for goodness in this passage was a word called arete. And that word literally means for something to live out what it was designed to do. So the definition of goodness is, is anything, something, anything, living out what it was designed to do. So this word here, goodness, for us, is all about us living out what we are designed to do. And we talked about how we are created in the image of God, and our primary goal as, as people, as any person on earth, is to reflect the image of Christ. So faith is this foundation, starts with a relationship with Jesus. From there we get this goal to be like Christ, to reflect his image, to be like Jesus. And then we talked last week, or two weeks ago now, about knowledge, which is the how we do it. It's learning more about Christ, knowing Christ better so that we can reflect his image better. And we've got this, this kind of foundation, these three things, this faith, goodness, and knowledge, this core thing. And then the next five that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks um, are really the practical side of our faith. And so tonight we're going to jump into self-control and look at uh, this virtue of self-control. When I think of the word self-control, I, I immediately think, and this is maybe bad, but I immediately think of all the destruction in the world. I think of all the things that happen because people don't have self-control. Can you think of anything off the top of your head? What are some of the things that happened because people don't have self-control? That's something you see around you. Adultery? P pardon me? Yeah, adultery, absolutely. Abuse, like the anger. Abuse, the, yeah, the... for sure. Substance abuse, domestic abuse, um, drug abuse, yeah. So the excess. Even verbal abuse. Like... Verbal abuse, absolutely, yeah. Somebody else. What else are some of the things you think of? The lack of self control causes. Lateness? Sorry? Uh, being late? <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think of like rage, anger. I think of um, homicide, like a, some murder, eating disorders, uh, sexual addictions. All of these extremes where there's no self-control. You know, from a practical perspective, living without self-control not only jeopardizes our spiritual development, but it also... It, it leads to the self-defeating behavior and destructive results. When our passions are out of control, then our, t our appetites tend to master our life and our reflection of God is diminished. When we're not able to live in a place where we have self-control, it's harder to reflect Christ, which is the goal, right? That goodness, that arete, we're designed to reflect Christ. Christ, to be like Christ. And when we don't have this self-control in our life, it's hard to do that. Self-control defined the life of Christ. It was kind of who he was. Uh, even when Jesus was pushed beyond all of his physical, the spiritual, uh, emotional boundaries, when everything was pushing him, he still reflected that self-controlled, uh, disciplined life that shows us the nature and the character of God. Uh, as he was led to the cross, I was thinking uh, this week, he subjected, you know, this unimaginable uh, physical and emotional abuse was happening to him. 
And even in that incredible, incredible moment where he's just been bombarded, he continued to reflect the nature of God through this incredible exhibition of self-control. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we see these words, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. When I read this verse, I think to myself, man, what would my life be like if I was more like that? And people were hurling their insults at him and their abuse and their... And in that moment, still, he had this self-control that reflected the image and this picture and this character of God. He had this self-control. What would my life be like? Because, boy, I'm a long ways from that. Full self-disclosure. Jesus showed us more than just self-control. You know, and, and more than just restraint. He, he showed us this practical, that, or the, sorry, this proactive side of self-control. And uh, it leads me to sort of the first thought that I had for tonight. And it's simply that self-control is not simply defined by what we don't do. It's also defined by what we do. Self-control is not about just not doing things, but it's, at, it's also about what we do. Um, Peter, in his first letter, he defined it as more than that, you know, and, and in verse 13, we see these words. It said, so prepare your minds for service and have self-control. All your hope should be for the gift of grace that will be yours when Jesus Christ has shown to you. Prepare your minds for service and have self-control. We see this picture of, of Peter kind of encouraging this idea of like this mental proactive readiness. Be ready. Prepare your minds and have self-control. Self-control is about focus. Uh, it involves a sense of this intentional assertiveness and readiness. It's the opposite of living a mindless, aimless Christian life, where we just kind of go with it. But there's this intentionality and this proactiveness that actually is part of self-control. It's not just what we don't do, it's what we do do as well. I uh, just did say do-do, just to be clear. <laughs> to be self-controlled is to live life with eternity in focus. It's thinking about heaven. It's knowing that we're not just built for now. This is not all that there is. This is not all that we have. But we are literally built for all of eternity for a relationship with God. And that changes how we see things. In chapter 4, in the same, uh, in 1 Peter again, verse 7, it says this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter describes this self-control as this act of self-discipline. You know, it's, and, and he ties it to prayer. So he, there's this picture of mindfulness and, you know, being purposeful. And then he also ties it to prayer. So being self-controlled leads us to, to pray to a better relationship and a better connection with God. And again, goodness, this arete, the goal is to reflect Christ. And as we talk to him and have a better prayer life, we can reflect God more. The third time that Peter uses this word, uh, in chapter 5, verse 8, looking through this whole first Peter, he says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. 
Isn't that interesting? In this verse, Peter describes self-control as a necessary virtue as, as, uh, for protecting from the onslaught of the devil. Self-control keeps us alert and ready for battle. It's more than just what we don't do. It's what we do. Now, there's the do part, but there is also the what we don't do as well, so it's both. And the other side of self-control has to do with, with restraint. We are called to manage our, our appetites, our passions, our, you know, the things that we're drawing into ourselves. And, and in, a, in a moment, I want to talk about four different um, areas that God calls us to manage responsibly. But before I do that, I want to share um, a verse with you that will help you to understand one of the secrets for exercising self-control. And as we kind of talk, this whole picture tonight and this whole series is called What's in Your Cup? And it's this idea that, you know, when life comes and we get shaken and we get rocked, something's coming out of us. And the question is, what's going to come out of us? And the reality is it's whatever's inside of us. And so there's this desire to grow in these virtues, grow in the depth of who God desires us to be. So, if you can get a hold of this verse, or more clearly, if this verse can get a hold of you, there's a great chance that it will shift and adjust and increase your self-control. Everybody's on the edge of their seat now? <laughs> Secret sauce. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says this, <clears throat> Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. What this is talking about is this. I'm going to break this down. It says, where there's no revelation. The writer of this proverb is, is basically saying this, that where people don't have a revelation of God, when people don't know God, when a society has no sense of, of a divine, of a, of a, that there's a God, that there's somebody in control, what happens is society tends to throw away and cast off restraint. In other words, when there's no respect for God, you'll find passions and appetites and living that is out of control. For us, what does that mean? When we don't recognize how God is moving and active and living in our own lives, there's a tendency to throw away restraint. When we do know that God is moving and active and alive and active in our, in our lives, we want to honor him and reflect him and we're more willing and more likely to be self-controlled. You know that slogan, maybe you've heard it, but you only live once. Anybody ever heard that? You only live once? This is where it finds its origin. Is this idea that we're just built for now there is no God, there is no future, there's nothing to look forward to. And this, just go for it. You only live once. And Proverbs 29, 18, when people do not accept divine guidance, this is the same verse, different translation, when they don't accept divine guidance, they run wild. The greatest hope for us, for people who lack self-control, 
and truly wish that they had it is found when we in that first-hand revelation of God. When we meet God, it's the greatest way to build self-control in our lives. If you have an area of your life where you're like, oh, I just got to get this under control, and we're going to talk about four areas here in a minute, if one of these resounds with you, the greatest way is a revelation of God, knowing God. And we talked about a few things, whether that's through prayer, opening up the Bible we talked about last week, two weeks ago, I guess. All kinds of ways, but engaging in this relationship and this conversation with God. When you encounter God, when you see God, when you have that experience, you develop a desire to please him and to reflect self-control in your life. One more verse I want to sort of jump into quickly and then we'll jump in these four different areas I want to look at tonight. Uh, it comes out of 1 Corinthians 6.12 and it's just kind of the second thought. Apostle Paul, he writes these words. He says, um, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. It's important that, to, to note that eliminating something from our life doesn't necessarily define self-control. Paul is telling us this simple truth. Just because you can, next slide there, just because you can doesn't mean that you should do it. So there's lots of things we can do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we should do it. Self-control is sometimes defined by choosing not to do something that may, might be well within our right. So self-control is more than just not doing bad things. Sometimes it may be doing not doing things even though they're within our rights to do. Everything is beneficial. Everything is okay. But I will not be mastered by anything. Our society tends to be defined by if I can do it, I will do it. You see that in all kinds of different areas. Like just the boundaries are being pushed. I feel like even more and more and more and more. And the second thought that comes out of this is simply this. The real issue as it relates to self-control is not whether you can have something. It's not whether you're allowed to have it. It's whether that something can have you. Self-control is the responsibility that we must exercise over the rights that we have. Even when it's allowed. Even when it's okay. Self-control sometimes is that ability to choose and say, I'm not going to be mastered by this thing. It's not a wrong thing. And I'll give an example from my own life. Um, I love sports, and there's nothing wrong with going and playing sports. I play hockey a couple times a week. However, if I was to go and play hockey five nights a week and not see my family and not be self-controlled in my going in all in on that, there would be a danger in it. Does that make sense? So even something that's good and it's healthy and it's proactive it can be dangerous and we have to be careful to make sure that we are in control of it it's not in control of us whatever it is so that being said four areas i want to look at really quickly as we just kind of wrap up are this and these are all four areas that there's way more things out there but these are four areas that the bible talks about quite a bit 
and has a lot to say around self-control and just areas that we kind of are big in our culture and our society. The first one is simply this, food. Um, food is one of the privileges and rights that we have as humans. It's funny how as a society we've changed a lot. It used to be very much, uh, we used to be sustenance farmers, you know, and not even that long ago, to be honest, historically, where people had to grow food to live and that was kind of the, the main thing where they needed to eat to live. Uh, and as things have shifted, the, the culture and society has shifted to a place where we live to eat. And there's, it's, so, it's fun and there's foodies. And, uh, any, any foodies in here? Any food? you, can, you don't have to, it's not, I'm not gonna I pick. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not picking on anybody, just yeah. to be clear. You're not gonna, I'm not gonna throw any rocks if you put your hand up. Uh, but it's a pleasure, right? Isn't it? Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. We, ha- we, we find f- pleasure in food. Myself, too. I love food. This is a bad one for me. Um, but if food and drink isn't tempered by self-control, that blessing can really quickly become bondage. Just like anything. This is that, that keeping, not allowing it to master us, but mastering it. See, we're called to worship God, not our stomachs. Philippians chapter 3 says this, For as I have often told you before and now, tell you again, with many, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Not having self-control in the area of food doesn't necessarily reflect the image of God, the nature of God. Um, In Romans chapter 14, it says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Which leads me to the the one thought for this. When it comes to food and drink, we don't live to eat, we eat to live. And there's lots more that we could say around this, but this is one of those areas that the Bible has lots to say about self-control and just being in control of it, not allowing it to control us. And I want to say again, as I said I would, the main way we do this is by having that intimate relationship with God. The more we are connected with Him, and that's opening up our Bibles, that's talking to Him in prayer all through our days, the more we're connecting with God, the more we are able to to live out self-control in our lives in all of the four areas we're talking about, and more. The second area is sex. And uh, it does not take a rocket scientist to know that our world is out of control in this area. Like off the rails. Like the rails aren't even there. Uh, Premarital sex, adultery, pornography. uh, Those are just a couple. We're not even touching the the kind of issues that exist in this area and the lack of self-control that exists in this area in our culture and our society and in our churches too, unfortunately. This is not exclusive outside of the church by far, unfortunately. Self-control within sexuality is not just an issue today, but it was also an issue in the first century. Uh, In Ephesus, Paul wrote this to the believers. He wrote this to the church there in Ephesus, and this is what he said, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. It was a big deal in that culture in that day. And he wrote, there must not even be a hint of it. 
You know that word, the word hint means a trace or a sniff. It might not even, not even just a sniff of it. Paul is essentially saying this. He's saying, look, as Christ followers, you're to ex- exercise self-control in your sexuality. You need to guard. You need to guard your sexual appetites. They've got to be guided by the will of God, the word of God. You must master your sexual pass- passions. You must not be mastered by them. You've got to be in control of this. And 2,000 years later, the expectation is still the same. With the privilege of sexual pleasure, which there is, I looked at my wife, just to be clear, (laughs) comes the responsibility, I can say that, I'm married, ring of power, comes the responsibility of self-control. Yeah, it's great. And there comes that responsibility of self-control with it. No matter our age, relational status, no matter where we're at, uh, we have to be really careful on this. Acts 15.29 says this, You are to abstain from sexual immorality. You would do well to avoid these things. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says this, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. It can't own us. We need to be in control of it. And it's great. As are all of these things. Food is great. Sex is great. And the third one is money. Did you know that this is the second most thing that Jesus talked about? The first thing he talked about more than anything else was the kingdom of God. And the second thing he talked about, like the second most thing he talked about was money. Interesting fact. When it comes to money, it's critically important that our passions for and our distribution of what we do with our money is tempered by self-control. Money, just like food and sexuality, it can master us. It can literally run us. And we are called to control our resources, not to have them control us. I don't say this lightly because I I understand and... uh, No worries, Melissa. It was Brady, but I don't know. I was going to encourage you. I don't know if I, I didn't really say this out loud, but um, we welcome that this is normal. So if we don't get stopped or at some point, it's not a normal night at Community Life Church. So, um, But money, we're, we are called to control our resources. And I, and I, I say this to say, um, I want to be careful because, you know, we can sit there and we can look at different people and it's a hard one because we say often, well, they've got lots of money so it's not an issue for them or they don't have lots of money so you know it is a really big issue. And I've seen people in both camps that have a really hard time with money that have you know, two, lots of money and people that don't have any money and have, a, have it all figured out. And it's not something that owns them. This having money own us is not about how much you have. It's not about whether you have it or don't have it. Being owned by it is whether it controls us. Whether it dictates. Are we using our resources and dictating what they're doing or is it dictating who we are and what we're doing? Uh, It says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's pretty strong words. Is it unspiritual to be wealthy? Absolutely not. Not for 10 seconds is it unspiritual to be wealthy. Not saying that at all. But this love of money and this being this mass, you know, being mastered by this pursuit of money. Self-control is the virtue that guards us against the temptation of being consumed with wealth. Self-control helps us with the, you know, being able to take what we have and, and, and share it, distribute it, distribute our resources, what we do with it. You know, it, it helps us control our spending. Uh, and I just I wanted to encourage, you know, this simple thought, not just because we have the money to spend doesn't mean we should spend it. Often because we have money, you know, it's easy, we're gonna spend it on ourselves. But there's this, like, the part of self-control in the area of money is that realization that everything that we have is not ours anyways. So God, what do you want me to do with my money? Where do you want me to bless somebody, support something, encourage somebody, resource, uh, you name it, whatever it looks like. What do you want to do with my resources beyond just money? My, my uh, house, my car, my fill in the blank. How do you want to use it, my resources, for your glory? It's not just about me. That passage that I read right here, do you just notice the words in here? This is what he says. The, the words, these, this danger, this potential danger, when that passion for money is out of control. It's a trap. It's foolish. It's harmful. It's destructive. It's evil. It's wandering. It's pierced. It's grief. It's a big deal. <laughs> Having self-control in the area of money leads us to know that it's not ours and it helps us know that our resources have way bigger potential and way bigger impact beyond ourselves. The last one really quickly is the area of speech. It's our words. It's the words that we use, the words that we say. Um, and as, as we follow Christ, the whole point of this, the goal of this, that arete, is to reflect the image of God. So in this area, we have to have restraint in how we speak. Um, are we reckless with our words? Are we destructive, maybe overcritical? Do we slander? Do we maybe gossip a little too much? Is there a part of our speech where we maybe need to look at and recognize that we need to grow in the area of self-control? Our words are powerful. We can't underestimate the power of them. Proverbs 12 says this, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Are our words out of the control? Are they lacking, you know, are they lacking restraint? Or do our words bring healing to people's lives? 
where do where are we at and you know i want to be i want to boy this sounds pretty heavy like preaching at because there's a big mirror in front of dave on all of these i could give you examples but i want to encourage you none of this is meant to be this condemnation first of all it's not god if you ever hear a word of condemnation over you like you're not good enough man you're slandered blah, blah, that's not god that's not god how god speaks to people he will come and he will convict us and he'll encourage us, you're not doing it right, but my grace is enough and I love you. But the devil comes and he condemns and he says, you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough. That's not God. So if that, I want to encourage you, as you're hearing these areas, if there's something that God's challenging you on, convicting you about, whether it's food or sex or money or speech, an area that you're like you as you look at it you're like yeah i'd love to grow in self-control i want to encourage you tonight it all comes back to that encounter with god so what does that look like for you last week in our um well it was we were doing the recap from the week before we were talking about these different areas and the ways we engage god and we know god more it's amazing how Peter lined these up, right? It was that knowing God. For some of us in our group, as we were talking, going for a walk, being out in God's creation is one of those places where they just engaged God. And they just know that he's real and they, they experience God. For some people in our group, um, that was, it was in prayer. But they said, I just love this. I have this conversation with God. Where I'm just going back and forth and I'm talking to him and listening to him. And for you tonight, whatever that is, and I, I, I'm, I hope in your house church groups as well, maybe you had that conversation as well. Whatever that looks like, I want to encourage you to, to lean into that, into that knowing God more, whatever that place was for you. And as you do, to ask him a simple prayer that some, says something like this, God, I felt like you were convicting. Maybe you're speaking to me tonight in the area of, maybe it's none of these areas, but maybe it's a different area. Would you help me to grow in self-control? Because I want to reflect you. Not so that we can be better, not so that we go like this and, oh yeah, we've got it all figured out. That's not the point. The point is so that we reflect Christ. That's the purpose. The goodness Arete, to reflect Christ. It's what we're designed to do. Literally designed to do. It is what we were created for. To reflect the image of God. Self-control is that responsibility that we must exercise over the rights. Even if it's something we're allowed to do. Even if it's good to do. It's, it's not just not doing things. It's being proactive like Christ did. And then it's being careful and, and being tempered in our excesses. So I want to encourage you. How are you doing in those areas? How are we doing? How am I doing? You don't have to answer that aloud. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's just pray.
God, I thank you that you are here right now in this moment. Father, we uh, started the night by talking about that foundation. All of this self-control starts with a relationship with you. It's all built on faith. And so even here tonight, um, we all come from different backgrounds and different places, but if we have not, if there's anybody in here tonight that hasn't taken that opportunity to invite Jesus to come and to live and to be the Lord and Savior of your life, or you've not actually made that choice, or you've not actually asked and said, Jesus, I want you to come and live in me. Change me from the inside. I want to encourage you. It all starts there. It all starts with faith, that faith that we put in Jesus, in what he did on the cross, and the price that he paid, and the relationship that we can have with the Father that comes only through him. There's no special words that you have to say. There's no special prayer, but it's, it's this belief that says, Christ, thank you for what you've done. I'm sorry for the stuff that I've done wrong, the sins that I've committed. Would you come and live in me and be the Lord, the leader, the boss of me? And I want to encourage you, as you do that, it opens and unlocks this incredible change. I can't even put words to it because it is something that is so incredible the way that Christ comes and God comes and he changes us from the inside out. And for us tonight that have made that choice and made that decision already and have asked Christ to come live in us, I want to encourage you. God calls us to be self-controlled. And as we do, we will reflect the image of Christ and we'll show the world a different way to live. This is not to tamper fun. It's not to kind of be this spoil sport, but it's... God calls us to this because he knows that it's the best for us. And so if that's you here tonight, I just want to simply pray and just say, God, I pray that you would meet us, that we would know you in a greater intimacy, in a greater realness. Father, and that as we become to know you, would you give us that desire to reflect you and And in that, help us to be self-controlled. Father, if there are areas or an area that we're struggling with, would you give us strength in that? Father, bring people alongside of us. Maybe uh, whether that's a word or, or give us strength to overcome, God. Maybe if we're stuck in a pattern or we just don't know how to get past it. Would you bring wisdom through the through the Bible as we open up the Bible or through friends? that helps lead us to more self-control and a better reflection of who you are, Jesus. God, we thank you for all that you do in us and the way that you constantly grow, shape, change, and more, most importantly, how you love us. We thank you for this time in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> One of the things that we um, do here on a regular basis as we kind of wrap up is just invite open kind of if there's any questions, challenge, um, thoughts, maybe something, a thought that jumped up as we're kind of talking this through. And uh, there's no pressure, no, you know, if there aren't any, that's fine too, but just like to open the floor. Any questions, thoughts, ideas, something that jumped to your mind as we're speaking tonight?
Yeah, we can. Sure. The stuff I the stuff I see to be particularly sad. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's a great thought, actually. It's interesting, you know, when you when you talk about like self control, and I've heard this so many times. There's this this there's picture in society and in culture that's like people go, well, that's you know, you're just kind of a bunch of spoil like spoil sports, right? Like you just don't want to go have fun because the idea is that no restraint is ultimate fun. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Where there's no restraints, it's the ultimate fun, right? But the reality is this, that where there's no restraints, man, the, co- the problems, the, the stuff that comes, the, the result of that is just unbelievable. Maybe not in the short term. Sure, maybe there is fun short term. But the, and I, I could, you know, and you could as well give me 100 examples of where when there's no restraint, it's just like the, the, the consequences of it are just unbelievable. So, yeah, Arnie. I think um, you had a sermon end of last year about contentment. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you want to really, if self-control becomes easy for you, and, and it's something I need to work on as well, but if you content with what you have, yeah. then self-control doesn't become an issue anymore. Mm. Sure. You're right. You're right. I mean, absolutely, a lot of it is that striving, right? Yeah, if you don't strive anymore yep. because you're content in your yep. marriage. Yeah. Or you're content in your job or your yep. work or whatever you yep. earn, then um, then it's easy to have self control. Yeah, you're right. It's a great point. A, a lot of this, the root is that contentment. Absolutely agree. It's a great thought. Right? Any other thoughts? Which I and I love the way Peter sets this all up. He didn't start with self control, he starts with faith and with goodness. It's all about a relationship with Christ. And it's all to reflect Christ. The point isn't even just to be self controlled. It's not like its own end, if that makes sense. It's not we just want to be self controlled so that we're just self controlled. No, it's actually to reflect Christ. And the only way we can even reflect Christ is to know Christ. And there's this knowledge it's it's brilliant. I mean, I didn't write it, so he wrote it. In div- you know, but yeah, it is. It's that re- in that relationship with Christ. There's no way you'll will yourself into doing this. I agree. So, any last thoughts? Great thought, Daniel. It was a great thought. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for coming.
leaning in with us. Love to have this conversation. Um, just a, a quick heads up for next week. Um, it is the family day weekend. Uh, we typically go back and forth with our house churches and such like that. Um, we're not going to actually have any house churches next week. Um, that being said, if you want to get together as your community or if you're around still and you'd love, like, by all means, we really encourage that. Grab somebody else from one of your host churches and invite them over for dinner or what have you. But no official host church is happening next week. Gary and Cindy are gone. We're gone. And uh, and, and a bunch of people are gone, too. So, yeah, because it's family weekend. So lots of people are, a bunch of people are going away and stuff like that, too. So, um, But the following week, we'll be back here. And I encourage you to come. With bells on. Don't forget to pick up your kids. There. Thanks for coming. Have a great night. Yeah, aw, did you say? <laughs>